Welcome to Fireside Chats on the Young Mind, brought to you by Old Firehouse School. I'm Dorothy Stewart, and I have with me Alex Dutton. Today, we're interviewing some therapists, Jordan Weck and Shannon Kong from Seven Bridges Therapy. The topic today is on language and speech development. I'd like you to just tell us a little bit about your therapy group and what you're about. Sure. Well, I started the company about 22 years ago in San Francisco, and we've grown ever since then to 10 locations all around the Bay Area. We're just trying to help as many kids as families as we can with the greatest therapists that we can find. We're opening our 11th location in a few months in Sonora, moving eastward a little bit. We do individual and group therapy, so we can see kiddos one-on-one, anywhere from one-on-up, and we do see some adults also. Um, And that could be in social groups as well. So any kiddos who also might have social interaction challenges, we do social groups too. So what brought you to the field of speech therapy? Yeah, well, I mean, Jordan can speak for herself. I think all of us just love helping people, you know, is kind of how it gets started for most of us. And I've just always loved kids. So I knew I wanted to do some type of therapy and met a little kiddo a long time ago when I was nannying who needed help. And I said, this is it. This is what I got to do. Dove in. (laughs) Yeah, I kind of started my interest in this career when I was a grad volunteer at a camp for kids who stutter. And I did some observations after that. And I just fell in love with it. And kind of as like Shannon said, just wanting to help others and it's, it's always interesting and it's always fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. well, well, thank you both again for being with us today. Let's start with the question of what are the signs that a parent should be concerned about their child's speech and language? Well, there are certain milestones that we look for at certain ages, which is kind of the minimum that we're looking for. So milestones like pointing by age one, having at least 50 words that they use unprompted all by themselves, not copying. They age two and starting to put words together at that time. And generally speaking in sentences, et cetera, by three, as far as language goes. And then as far as speech goes, Jordan, do you want to talk about speech, which when we say speech, we're talking about pronunciation or how kids are pronouncing their words versus language. We're talking about vocabulary and grammar and sentence length and stuff. So there's certain milestones with the sounds and age. So maybe like a two and a three-year-old is going to have those beginning sounds like P, Bs, Ms, and Ns. So for example, maybe if a two-year-old is not able to say those TH or Rs, that's okay. All sounds are going to be fully developed by age five. And so that's when a child is going to be very intelligible and you should be able to understand what they're saying. When you say fully developed by age five, are those all of those blended sounds too, like the STs or the CHs by Mm -hmm. age five? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, they should have all their sounds by five be 100% intelligible, meaning anybody, anytime should understand everything they're saying. Generally by five, kids should be talking like adults, so they should have all their grammar going, their word endings, just, you know, need to work on their vocabulary, but that's a good kind of milestone to think about. We have a lot of parents who get concerned with their children are not speaking by age two in terms of language delay. Should they be concerned? Yeah, well, again, the milestone is 50 words and that's for monolingual kids, right? So if a child's only being exposed to one language, we're looking at a minimum of 50 words. Most kids on average are going to have 
a couple hundred by age two, but there's a wide range of normal when it comes to this stuff. So kids who have 50 words at two and kids who have 300 at two are all considered within that average range. And then kids who are bilingual, you know, their little brains are processing two different language systems. So it's it's normal for them to come along a little bit later. So as long as they have a good core set of words by two, you know, 10 or 20, 20 words and they're understanding well, usually those kids are chatting up a storm by three. Can you explain a little bit about, you just said now understanding versus producing words. And I know that there is a difference between those two types of languages or Mm -hmm. I guess expressions and whatnot. Right. Yeah. Jordan, you want to talk about receptive versus expressive language? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So receptive language is everything a child is able to understand. So such as following directions, understanding the type of question being asked to answer them. And then expressive language would be everything that a child is able to say. So requesting, commenting, answering the question verbally. So that's kind of the difference between receptive and expressive language. And usually in those younger years, kids can understand way more than they can say, right? If you think about your typical one and a half or two year old, you can give them lots of directions, you know, go to your room and get your shoes. It's time to go to the store. Let's put your shoes on and they can get the gist of directions and things like that, but they couldn't produce a long sentence like that, right? So that's pretty normal. Well, what are the ways that we can help with language development with parents and teachers? There's lots of ways. Jordan, do you want to start with that one? (laughs) Yeah. So at home, you know, in our sessions, we give a lot of caregiver education. I love when parents are sitting in our sessions to kind of see what we're doing. And so I can kind of train them and give them ideas and things to work on at home. So giving choices for a child and expecting a verbal response is a good way to give them an opportunity to communicate. And then also if a child is saying one word into comment or request or anything, then I encourage parents to always add on an extra word. So for example, if a kid may say ball, I encourage the parents to say, oh, big ball or blue ball. So they're hearing those two word utterances to help expand their language. And so those are kinds of things that I encourage parents to do at home. We have to kind of set up those expectations of if, if a child is grunting or whining and we, we know what they want and we give it to them right away, or we're not really expecting a verbal response when we know what they could potentially do it. So kind of setting those expectations for kids as well. Yeah, that's critical. I call it having just right expectations. If you know your child's capable of producing single words, but they're producing whines and grunts and they're reaching and grabbing and we're rewarding that then we're not going to make a ton of progress. But also if they're producing single words and we're expecting them to say a sentence, we're not at the right level either because we're asking them to do something that's way beyond where they're at. So we always want to just be one tiny step ahead of them. If they're producing single words, let's try to keep growing that vocabulary and just try to get two words. But I always tell parents, if he's just taking his first steps, you don't ask him to run across the room, do you? Right? We've got to kind of take it one step at a time and have those realistic expectations. But it's really important for parents to understand that whatever behavior they reward is going to continue. So if the child's grunting and whining and reaching and grabbing and tantruming, and we're rewarding that by responding to it, then it's working and they'll continue to do that. But if a child's grunting and whining and we're saying, oh, did you want the milk? And then maybe we could get a muh for milk. Mm -hmm. Then we reward that. And that's that positive, functional, effective communication we want to reward. 
we've all been concerned about the language development in our children that have been wearing masks for two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, what have you seen in terms of the effect mm-hmm. of that on children's speech mm-hmm. language? Well, I mean, the biggest thing that we've seen, honestly, is since a lot of kiddos stayed at home for a period of time, whether that was six months or maybe a year during this really kind of critical time of development, uh, we have more kids who have a little bit maybe of anxiety or kind of a shyness that who knows, we might not have seen before, but maybe it's harder to get comfortable in new situations or with new people. So there might be kind of a delay in getting comfortable talking with other people. I think generally people weren't wearing masks at home full time with their kids when they were home alone. So as long as the kiddos during that time were getting a good language model, again, we don't have to take our kids to the museum and a play date every day for them (laughs) to learn language. It doesn't take extraordinary circumstances for kids to learn language as long as we're talking about what we're doing oh oh, we're you know it's time for a bath go take your clothes off or you know we're gonna go eat some lunch what do you want a yogurt or you know a sandwich as long as we're doing that daily talking that's great stimulation Mm -hmm. kids don't have to have siblings to learn language they don't we don't need to go to extraordinary lengths to make that happen i think more of the delays that we're seeing now are are more anxiety related like a social anxiety perhaps or the kids will talk freely at home but not at school or outside of the house, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's definitely something we are all seeing. So it's it's great to hear that the masking isn't necessarily going to be the reason why a child has a possible language delay because you're right at home wasn't going to be the issue and that's where they're spending more of their day their hours. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we are we are seeing many more children than usual who will not talk four to five to six months in the beginning mm-hmm. of the school year. They definitely have the receptive language. They can follow directions. They know right. where to lie down for nap, where to sit for lunchtime, but they won't talk to us. And there are some yeah. children who it's even been almost a, maybe a year or more and they're mm-hmm. talking very minimally at school. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, for the last 25 years, that concept was a rarity for me. There is an anxiety diagnosis called selective mutism, which if your child sees a psychologist or psychiatrist and they determine that we're only seeing language use at home and not outside the home, that was a possible diagnosis. And now we're seeing that pretty frequently, way more than ever before, for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it seems like it's more of the the selective mutism or anxiety is more because they just weren't out and about in parks and grocery stores, mm-hmm. seeing family, going to school, maybe those yeah. things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that it affected kids of all ages. My husband has six kids between us and our youngest, who's 12, has gone through a very dramatic shift in the last two years. Super open, outgoing, saying hi to everybody when we're out and about to having a lot of trouble ordering at restaurants, stuff like that, speaking very softly so that even we can't hear her. I mean, it's affected kids in lots of different ways uh, at all different ages, you know, really. I will say, though, you know, when we're seeing those kids that have that social anxiety in our sessions, I personally feel the big number one importance is to build that relationship with that child. They have to be able Mm -hmm. to trust you and have that relationship to even be working Mm -hmm. on anything. Mm -hmm. Um, That's definitely key. And I think we stand by that Mm -hmm. for all kids (laughs) that we see. Yeah, for sure. And we're seeing these kids in groups and they are making progress. 
we are seeing them one-on-one first a lot of the times and then gradually working them into a social group with peers and they're talking in those groups. And then the idea is involving the parents on that process so that they can then work on gradually, you know, working on those new skills in other settings, obviously, is, is the end goal. We are seeing progress, which is good. In terms of relationship building and the need for that, how do you feel about those language apps that are on screen time for children Mm -hmm. in terms of helping language development or hoarding it? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of good stuff out there. There's no doubt about that. But looking at a screen is still not the natural way for a child to learn language. It's Mm -hmm. not interactive with another person. It's like I've always said, you know, there's lots of stuff on TV and YouTube that's really exciting and interesting and stimulating that you can't see in everyday life, right? If you think about nature shows and and all that, and of course you have all your your interesting movies and whatnot, but as far as apps go, I think like anything else when it comes to screen time, you need to limit it. You know, it's great if they're doing something productive, like while you're making dinner, because, you know, you can't be on the floor playing and certain times of day, you just can't. I know that Jordan uses some apps here and there for speech, for kids who are in speech therapy too, right? Jordan, you were saying there's some apps that are good practice for that. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. As far as like a language aspect goes, I always play. Play is huge. Mm -hmm. And then as far as the speech, we use a lot of games. We use target words for kids and I send home resources to families with maybe a couple words that we're working on that week. But an app like a tally counter, kids love to see their progress. Like how many good productions Mm -hmm. am I going to get during my session? And Mm -hmm. that's kind of the app that I use. I don't have any specific apps that kids go home and use independently. So, but there's some we can facilitate like articulation station is super fun. You know, the pictures are really colorful and it gives you a little bing you know, and you you get it right and keeps track of how you're doing. And that's fun, but it's definitely not the be all end all that face-to-face interactive was definitely still our top priority. Mm -hmm. We've already touched on this, but if you could go over it again, how can parents know what's a speech impediment versus just developmental? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's so much information out. You don't need any kind of degree to have have a kid. And there's so much to know about your kid's development, you know, motorically and language. I mean, there's so much. There is a website called ASHA.org, A-S-H-A.org. That's our American Speech Language Hearing Association. And they do have milestones listed really clearly on there for parents. That's just a really great resource for any questions. But generally speaking, any concerns at all, talk to your pediatrician about it. They know the general milestones for sure. They'll let you know if it's time to get a speech evaluation. And if it is, it's just a win-win. We'll come back, we'll analyze everything and say, you know what? He's actually functioning within average limits. He's doing great, no problem. And they're excited and happy. Or we say, you know, he's a few months behind. We need to work on a couple sounds or get this going. Why don't we do some weekly sessions for a little bit and give him a boost? We have all kinds of tricks in our back pocket to help them progress. Always just talk to your doctor. If you have concerns, follow your gut. That's just always my advice to parents. Just go with your gut. So what services are available in our local communities for parents who have concerns? Mm -hmm. Maybe pediatrician pointed them in that direction. Right. Well, the the age three is sort of a cutoff, if you will. Under three, we have the regional center. That's a state agency that will provide services for kiddos who qualify. 
And there's a regional center in every area. So there's Golden Gate Regional Center for Marin, San Fran, San Mateo County. There's Regional Center of the East Bay in the East Bay. And then if your child's over three, the school districts provide evaluations and potential therapy if your child qualifies for that. Your child does not have to be enrolled in public school to have that service. So as long as he's three, you can get that going with your local school district. That's under the special education department. And then just as a general rule, medical insurance actually usually covers this stuff. So that's about 99% of what we do. If you want to know if your insurance covers, your doctor could potentially help you, or you can call your insurance directly, you know, the member service number on your card and find out if speech therapy is covered or not. But it usually is HMO or PPO. I have a question about where children tend to get their therapies. You mentioned some individual and some group. Are these things that are happening generally at your offices or do you come into schools as well? So each private practice is different. Our private practice uh, specifically treats at our offices. And we also do telehealth or Zoom, uh, Google Meet, uh, that online treatment as well. And then sometimes if necessary, depending on particular cases, maybe Shannon might go and pop in into a classroom just to see how maybe that kiddo is interacting socially. Yeah, we don't do sessions out and about. We have in the past. It's just it's a lot on the therapist to run around parking traffic, all that stuff. And on top of that, our offices are set up so that there's very few distractions and we can just really focus in on on our goals here versus if we were going to the home, you have pets and siblings and, you know, all kinds of things going on at home. So for us, it's more about the quality of the therapy versus exactly the location so much, but we're all in the clinic so that we can really get focused. We have thousands of materials at our fingertips and stuff, but Mm -hmm. there are some places that go to the home or go to the school as well. Well, thank you. I think that about covers it. You've uh, educated us on lots of issues. Issues, and we will definitely have your information available to our listeners. Let us know if you have any questions. We will do that. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time. Thank yeah, you. Got it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts.